0: You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers Goldmine
1: production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carrots podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Thursday, November 16th. The 49ers are preparing for their week 11 game against the Tampa Bay Bucks here at home. I don't know why I say here, Rob. I am not here <laughs> as in like Santa Clara. I am all the way in Colorado, but I'm, I am there with them in spirit. Uh, and joining me today, also in spirit with the 49ers to talk about them today, is Rob Stats Guerrero. Rob, how you doing today?
0: Oh, Steph, I'm doing so much better coming off of a win. Food tastes better, drinks taste better. I'm in a great mood.
1: I love it because last week you were you were a little grumpy, and I'm I'm glad we got that worked out. So all, all it was was the 49ers, right? Like that they just needed a win, and you're you're back to your old self, huh?
0: Yeah, my old regular grumpy self.
1: Just uh, just a little happier, but that's still grumpy. It's still on the yes. grumpy scale. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, look, as always, we're going to start this show with uh, this week in 49ers history. And I just got to put this picture up here because it is from the game that we're about to talk about. November 14th, 1993. The 49ers traveled to Tampa Bay to play the Bucs. The Bucs were wearing their orange creamsicle uh, unis. I think that's what they call them, right? The orange Mm -hmm. creamsicle? Okay. Those were very clean, by the way. Yes. So the 49ers win that game 45-21. Steve Young threw four touchdowns that day. But that's not really what's special um, and why I'm bringing this up. What was special is that Jerry Rice caught all four touchdowns. He went 172 yards, four touchdowns on just eight catches. I mean, what's incredible, Rob, is that as I was trying to look online for some of this stuff, sure. Like the reason I had such a hard time finding like articles from back then is because it was 1993 (laughs) and like (laughs) the Internet was in its infancy. But still, like, I kind of feel like part of it is because Jerry Rice just did stuff like this all the time. Like, this wasn't even probably his best game as a Niner, you know? So, I don't know. I was just kind of blown away uh, at that stat line and also feeling like, yeah, that's just regular Jerry Rice.
0: Yeah, it's freakish that he did that. He had 11 targets in the game, eight catches. But no. That was not his number one game. In fact, that's not even in the top 10 in number one games for Jerry Rice, which is just an absurd... Like, when you dig into the numbers for Jerry Rice, it's ridiculous. He had two Hall of Fame careers, honestly, if you really look at it. His top game ever, by the way, if you're wondering, would be against the Minnesota Vikings in 1995. Try 14 catches for 289 yards and three touchdowns. Just, you know. By the way, one of four... 200 yard games for Jerry Rice in his career. The, the numbers are just ridiculous. The more you dive into it.
1: That's crazy. But I, I love that though. And that's pretty much what I suspected Rob that, okay, this is probably not his best game clearly. uh, But do you know off the top of your head, Rob, like how, like the highest number of touchdowns he scored in one game?
0: Yeah. He had five. He has the record. Okay, I believe. So five,
1: Yeah that's insane that is insane that's that's already a lot for like a quarterback to get you're like wow that's incredible and then like a wide receiver does it it's like whoa (laughs) but that's jerry rice for you um always always nice to go back to those golden years for the 49ers look we got to get to this week in 49ers today (laughs) History. So uh, we got some news of one of the 49ers offensive linemen. Nick Zekalich has been placed on injured reserve with a torn bicep. This he suffered in Sunday's game against the Jags. At that point, you know, the game had already been decided. So a lot of the reserve players went in. Zekalich being one of those guys. So that's when he suffered that injury. Now, doesn't seem like too big of a deal right because he's a backup but i do want to look at the 49ers offensive line their depth because i kind of feel like even outside of this injury there's some changes that i think are coming to this offensive line and of course when you look at the starters here on the left trent williams aaron banks jake Brendel, spencer burford colton mckivitz you see two names in red aaron banks and colton mckivitz aaron banks is going to be out Sunday as well. He was out last Sunday. You had John Feliciano starting his place. Feliciano did a pretty good job in his place. Colton McKivitts, uh suffered an ankle injury in that game. And while he was limited participant in yesterday's practice, he did seem to be moving around. Well, there is the possibility that he does not play on Sunday. So given that, let's look at the backups here. They have Jalen Moore. They have John Feliciano, who, as we mentioned, is starting and Matt Pryor. So there was some discussion of Jalen Moore because he played so well at left tackle while Trent was out. Like, could he potentially play at right tackle if Colton McKivitz is unable to go Kyle Shanahan left the door open for that. I mean, but they also have Matt Pryor who has always been at the right side, at least for this 49ers offensive line. So I mean, do you have any thoughts of Jalen Moore specifically? And if you would like to see more of him uh, instead of Colton McKivitz, even maybe without this injury?
0: Well, I can't pretend to be an offensive line expert. In fact, when I do my grades on Mondays for, for our site, goldstandardniners.com, I don't even put the offensive line in there because I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, But here's what I do know. Playing right tackle is not the same as playing left tackle. It's like, oh, you know how to write? Great. Can you write with your opposite hand and write me a 10-page essay? Like, it's everything is flipped. It's in reverse. And if you're not used to doing it, it's very difficult. You can't just throw a guy there and expect him to perform at the level he was at on the other side of the line. I know Kyle left the door open. But let's be honest. It's not like Jalen Moore was an incredible left tackle. So now you're asking him to move over to right tackle where he might be even more unfamiliar and uncomfortable. It's not a solution that I'm totally comfortable with, but they, it's an issue for the 49ers. Colton McKibbs was getting mopped on Sunday against the Jags. There are a couple of plays where he gets beat immediately and like blown up, shoved backwards like Mike McGlinchey style. And so it's, a, it's an issue for the team for sure.
1: Yeah, and I was actually surprised that Kyle, I guess, even entertained the idea of having more at right tackle, given that they already have, you know, prior at that spot. And I agree with you, Rob. Like, Jalen Moore did an admirable job, I'd say, covering for Trent Williams, but I don't know if it's quite at that peak yet where I would be like, oh, he needs to be started kind of thing. Like, he needs more opportunities. Let's move him over just so he can start kind of thing. Um, I, I really don't think it's there yet. I am happy to see Jalen Moore progressing and he seems to be growing as a player and getting better with, you know, every season. Because I remember there was a time Jalen Moore was, whoof you did not want him out there. But, you know, I I think if Colt McKivitz is unavailable for Sunday, I, I just assume that the most likely scenario is Matt Pryor, just for the reasons you mentioned, Rob, and, and a lot of people mention it. It's so hard to just switch sides because it, your body movement is the exact opposite. It's just it, things could get weird. So for that reason, I don't think Jalen Moore in one week would be exactly prepped to play right tackle. But that being said, let's go back to uh, the talk about Nick the Couch being out because the 49ers placed him on IR, as I mentioned. They're going to bring up someone from the practice squad this week. For uh, Sunday's game. So, as options, they have Henry Bird, who they recently signed, Il Manning, Corey Luciano, Jesse Davis, and Alfredo Gutierrez. Uh, these are all options they can bring up. I don't know, <laughs> honestly, like who they would prefer over these guys. Henry Bird has only been with the team like a week, a week and a half, maybe. Um, and he was an undrafted free agent. Il Manning, was an undrafted free agent, although I know, you know, people have said good things about him. But of course, you mentioned this, Rob, all the time. The 49ers left him out of their 53 man. They they made that risk, right? Of of uh, another team picking him up. Another team did pick him up. They let him go. Now he's back on the 49ers practice squad. Corey Luciano, I don't know much about him. Uh don't know much about Jesse Davis Alfredo Gutierrez has been with the team for a couple years now but I really don't think he's at that point where like he's he's strictly uh a developmental player (laughs) and so I don't know I out of these names like again we don't really know too much about offensive linemen and we're not experts right but I don't know. I'm kind of thinking maybe ill Manning or Cor Luciano would be the most likely names here to be called up.
0: So on the one hand, I'll never forget Joe Thomas talking about Kyle Shanahan's system when it comes to the offensive line. Cause this, I always thought was encouraging. He said that basically you don't have to be the best offensive lineman in the world to have success in this system because the, because a lot of the plays involve you taking certain angles and blocking certain people that number one, You're just going to be set up to succeed because your angle is going to be good. And number two, you don't really have to block for that long. So that's a really good combination if you're not the best offensive lineman in the world. But on the other hand, like, who are we talking about here? Like, you just read the collection of names. If Corey Luciano was in this room with me, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Like, who are these people? I don't know. So, yes, great we could have success because Kyle Shanahan puts you in a position to succeed, but also this offensive line has to work together. I think more than other offensive lines with this system, cohesion is really, really important. If even one piece of this offensive line doesn't function properly, the whole running game can be shut down. And that's a scary prospect because so much of what the 49ers do offensively depends on the success of the running game. So I don't care who you pick. And I don't know the difference between any of these guys, But they need to be able to function at a, you know, at an acceptable level here. And to me, I I tend to favor guys that have at least been here longer because they probably know the system better.
1: Uh, The only guy who has been here beyond this year is Alfredo Gutierrez. But, you know, I... I agree with you. And it's not like the guy who's going to get brought up from practice squad is going to be getting snaps in this game. Like if all goes well and there aren't any new injuries, like that guy's not even going to need a play. So maybe we're making something out of nothing. But you did bring up something that I wanted to talk about. Right. And it's the fact that the 49ers have kind of depended on developing offensive linemen rather than having like first year starters and sometimes even after they've been developed like we're seeing colton mckivitz now he's been with the team for a couple years now um they're still not at that level where you can call them like a pro bowler or something like that i'd feel a lot better if there were like more pro bowlers on this team trent williams is probably carrying this offensive line. Uh, But I I just wanted to go back to some of the names. Uh, Let me see here. So some of the offensive linemen that the 49ers have drafted in the Shanahan era. And if you look back, the highest drafted one was, you know, Mike McGlinchey in 2018. That was when they were building the team, basically brick by brick. Right. So one of those bricks was Mike McGlinchey. He was drafted in the first round. Of course, since then, he's left in free agency. In 2019, in the sixth round, they got another tackle, Justin Skuhl, which ended up being their swing tackle for, you know, when he was here. He left in free agency. 2020, fifth round, that's when they drafted Colton McKivitz. He is now a starter. 2021, so second round. So that's like the second time that they kind of, I would say, prioritized an offensive lineman. It was Aaron Banks. He's now a starter. 2021 fifth round Jalen Moore. He is a backup 2022 fourth round Spencer Burford. He's a starter 2022 sixth round Nick Zicalge who has been placed on IR. And in 2023, they didn't draft any offensive linemen. Uh, And that was the first time they did that since 2017, which was Shanahan's first year, right? So this is just crazy to me. They've gotten a lot of tackles like in that span. Um, But aside from that, like, I kind of wonder, are they ready to admit that, okay, this plan of not prioritizing offensive linemen because we have a scheme that, you know, makes offensive linemen, you know, look good and all this stuff. Are they going to eventually do away with that? Because I would, I would like them to (laughs) at some point, because also I think they're also proving to themselves that the fact that they're not trusting these guys to start right away. I feel like Mike McGlinchey and Spencer Burford are probably the only guys who have started in their first year. And maybe that's more so for need than anything. Uh, so I think they're proving to themselves, you can't just uh, develop a guy for a couple years and expect that they're going to be like some some good uh, starting linemen, like sixth round, fifth round picks. You should be able to draft a guy highly, like in the first three rounds, and he should be able to start right away. If it takes them multiple years to learn the system and to develop into a good offensive lineman in your system, maybe your system isn't that easy for offensive linemen. And maybe you should be going for, I don't know, highly regarded uh, offensive linemen in the draft.
0: There's a lot of contradictions with the 49ers when it comes to the offensive line, because in some instances, We've seen them invest, right? They went out when Joe Staley retired and traded for Trent Williams immediately. There was no gap there. Joe Staley, then it was Trent Williams. They traded a third and a fifth rounder, which is still one of the best trades ever, by the way. So, but they went out, they recognized the importance of that spot and they got an all pro. They signed Weston Richburg to a very big contract when he was there. It didn't work out because he got hurt, but they invested in that center position. They went out and they got Alex Mack. Uh, after Weston Richburg, like they clearly did recognize that there are some spots on the offensive line that they think are worth investing in. And yet other times, like you pointed out, especially in the draft, especially right tackle where they just kind of throw anybody in there. So it's really weird that they have certain spots that they think are worth spending their resources and others. They don't spend at all. I mean, just the fact that they think it's cool to have a rotation at right guard, right? They did it with Spencer (laughs) and Daniel Brunskill. Now they're talking about doing it again this year when Aaron Banks comes back with John Feliciano. Like that's the weirdest thing ever. I've never heard of a team rotating their offensive lineman before in 38 years on this planet. I've never heard of that The 49ers are doing it.
1: And yeah, they've done it before and it, yeah, it sounds like they want to do it again. Uh, so Feliciano who you know, again, right now is playing at left guard for Aaron Pinks. It sounds like even without before this injury even happened, they were thinking of rotating him at right guard. I'm and again
0: Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. This quote from Kyle that you have on the screen is such a crock. Nothing against Spencer Burford. Of course there's something against Spencer Burford. You don't <laughs> randomly take a guy out of your starting lineup unless his play is not good, right? They're not rotating in one of the tight ends they drafted with George Kittle, right? They're not rotating Brandon Ayuk with Ronnie Bell, right? Why? Because those guys are really good. So that's a crock from Kyle Shanahan. That is such bull.
1: And for the audio listeners who can't see the quote that I have up on the screen, it says, uh, Kyle says, quote, it had been discussed nothing against Spencer, but I wanted to make sure that John knew that we were aware of how well we thought he had been doing. So that was something I just had mentioned to him and was planning on doing it, end quote. So, yeah, and I find this concerning because given the fact that they kind of had to rotate Spencer Burford and Daniel Brunskill last year at right guard, you would think that maybe they would prioritize <laughs> right guard a little bit more. And sure. Like maybe, you know, they picked up Feliciano in, in free agency. I feel like they got some, I don't want to say good veterans. Cause like, we didn't know if they were going to be good or not. There were a lot of like question marks with some of the veteran uh, offensive linemen they brought in but it seems like Feliciano is good enough to be in the conversation for right guard starting right guard so yeah again just another example of maybe you should have drafted a right guard i don't know i don't know but it it seems like they they kind of like to bring in veterans at a lot of these spots again they like to develop some of the guys they've drafted before giving them these opportunities for the most part. And maybe Spencer Burford is a good example of why, right? Like Spencer Burford's only – he's in his second year. And is it second year? Or is my math wrong? Yeah, only his second year. For some reason, it feels like longer. But um, he's only in his second year, and he's starting, but at what cost, right? Like they're still doing this teetering back and forth between him and other guys. So I don't know. It's just the way they – operate with their offensive line is just a little weird. Uh, I think right now Brock Purdy is doing a ton to mask what this offensive line truly looks like because I think if this was Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback or just any other quarterback 49ers have had in the past that maybe isn't as pocket savvy as Brock nice. Purdy is, you you would see how, maybe I don't want to cool. say bad, but just how not good this offensive line is.
0: I completely agree with you. I think Brock has bailed them out in a big way particularly against Cincinnati you saw it a lot he was using his legs I mean that was the only reason the offense was moving the ball at all is because of Brock Purdy and we have how often have we talked about wanting a quarterback that can do that because frankly like from a pass blocking perspective this offensive line in the Kyle Shanahan era has not really blown you away that much they've always sort of had that guy you felt like if it's third and seven, the other teams lining up their best pass rusher over that guy and they're going to disrupt the play.
1: Yeah. And I think all of this discussion kind of brings me to a larger point that I wanted to touch on today. And it's the fact that I I feel like Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, whoever is the culprit here, I have to imagine it's Kyle, um, doesn't trust like young players like he he wants them to develop a little bit more. And I want to go back to the 49ers drafts and go back to the first draft and see like who has actually developed into starters or a role player for this team. And like you, you go back to 2017, there's, I mean, George Kittle is carrying that draft uh, by himself pretty much some guys who had roles on this team, but a lot of guys, you know, they let go in free agency or whatnot. Fine. Uh, 2018. uh, You have Mike McGlinchey, Dante Pettis, Fred Warner, first three picks. I mean, that looks great. And just some of these like younger guys, we never really saw them get their opportunity. DJ Reed is a great example because Mm -hmm. he ended up getting picked up by another team. So sometimes, not trusting your guys hurts you sometimes trusting them too much like Dante Pettis uh, can also hurt you uh dude 2019 to me is probably their one of their best drafts to date and only it's because of they, best drafts. They, 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 yeah they went Nick Bosa and Debo back-to-back picks um and you have Jalen Hurd there who kind of like ruins it all but Mitch Wyschnowski fourth round. Sure. Say what you want about a fourth round punter. Uh, He looked good on Sunday. Uh, Drake Greenlaw fifth round. Just in school. We mentioned him already, but I want to look at these last few drafts because I feel like the early drafts, they were building the team. So a lot of those guys did get their opportunities. Now we're at a point where most of the roster and its foundations have pretty much been built. And, now you're seeing guys who they're drafting not really getting their opportunities just because, well, they're so deep um, and they're so set at the starting positions. Um, but if you look at 2020, like we mentioned Colton McKibbitts, he got drafted in 2020. He's getting his opportunity till now. You, I, I thought 2020 is actually a solid draft, given that they only drafted five players in that one. But all those guys have played a role on this team.
0: I think Javon Kinlaw has been a disappointment. Brandon Ayuk is yeah. coming into form now, but it's been a long time to get him there. Colton McKibbitts was a guy that they cut at one point that they themselves deemed wasn't good enough for their roster. Charlie Warner's been a bag of nothing. And Juwan Jennings, to be oh, fair, yeah. has been a very productive player in the seventh round. So you got Ayuk oh, I- and you got Juwan, and that's it.
1: A bag of nothing is a little harsh. I mean, Warner's been out there and he's like been a blocking tight end. So
0: Great. He's participated you could swap well, Charlie that's what I mean. out. like he's been any backup tight end like sure you if you
1: it. but if if you guys it, like if if you can get any guy to even participate like I think that's fine you already had george Kittle like he doesn't need to be anything more than a, a participator <laughs> but I don't know that that one in hindsight doesn't look so bad and then you have honestly like 2021s. it's recent really? right but it it looks fine to me if you ignore the trays just the two trays. Don't look at the two trays. And this is a pretty good draft. Like, see, you know, it's not bad.
0: uh, Trey Lance never played. So I'm not going to give them like, we, I still, my book is still out on him. Aaron banks. Has he been that great? Not really. He's been a starter. I guess they don't really have a bunch of other options. Like John, John Feliciano has come in for Aaron banks. Have we noticed the drop off? No. So like banks has been okay. Trey sermon. Forget that. Ambry Thomas, we all thought was left for dead. Now, apparently he's still alive. He's floating back on the raft with Wilson. Jalen Moore, eh, but fifth round pick. Okay. Diamandora Lenore, very solid pick for a fifth round pick. Hufunga, they got an all pro season out of, which is a little fraudulent, but still a very good player for a fifth round pick. And Elijah Mitchell is a running back. So yeah, good, but replaceable, right?
1: You're so harsh. Um, but like yeah in the sixth round he started a entire season for them that's more he than a lot a of people get out of six the Niners picks.
0: Too, didn't he what Was that? He set the 49ers rookie rushing record he might have yeah, or he was very close but right. he didn't do it.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think I'm pretty sure he did get that. But anyway, so okay. 2022 is where things start to get dicey because these are guys who could have had roles like drake jackson very well could have had a role on this team even dating back to last year this year he really had a huge opportunity just didn't come to form in his second year we heard about all this conditioning stuff now he he really just they kept adding guys to and he kept getting pushed further down the depth chart ty davis price kind of the same thing like it's and I don't know if he improved this past off season, but we we're not going to see it because there are just so many guys ahead of him. Danny Gray is a afterthought, especially after Trey Lance. I don't think they're going to do anything with Danny Gray after Trey. I, I think they specifically drafted Danny Gray for Trey Lance, and we have not seen Danny Gray like since he's been drafted. Pretty much like he hasn't really done anything. Spencer Burford, he's starting Womack. Again, like he had an opportunity, just hasn't come to fruition You've seen him out there. I know he's he's coming off of IR. He has his 21-day window. Let's see if he can do something then. Nick Sakel on IR now, but like I didn't even feel like he really had an opportunity to become a starter, which I kind of felt like they liked him a lot and he could have potentially had that opportunity but maybe just not at that level yet where they felt comfortable with that one clea davis been hurt brock purdy again carrying like the 2022 draft for this team but when you look at these names do you feel like it's a lack of trust for some of these players um or just like lack of opportunity or both
0: so drake jackson i felt like they appeared to trust him, right? They let him play last year. They they basically handed him the job this year. And he, by all accounts has tried really hard, put in the effort, reworked his body. And it just, he hasn't been good. That's why they went out and got Randy Gregory. And that's why they went out and got chase young, right? If Drake Jackson balls out, they're not doing those moves. Maybe they had Randy Gregory, maybe, but they're not trading for chase young. So Drake Jackson is just, he had an opportunity and he just hasn't, uh, taking advantage of it. Ty Davis Price, they they gave a little bit of carries, too, and then he got hurt, and then it's like, that's it. Afterthought now. Danny Gray, same thing. He's been hurt multiple times, which is hilarious because he never even plays, and he still manages to get hurt. Spencer Burford, as you mentioned, is a starter. I feel like they've given a very limited opportunity. So it's, like, it's almost like, we'll let you play, but you better get it right, and you better get it right right away. And if you don't, we ain't waiting for you. You're out. And once you're out with Kyle Shanahan, as we've seen, it's very, very difficult to get back in.
1: I know people say that the draft is like a crapshoot, but at this point, like looking at this draft, it's kind of like they just draft guys for fun at this point. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, let's just see, let's just throw something at the wall, see what sticks kind of thing. Um, just because like, it's it's tough, right? Because they have a lot of talented guys already on their team. But I look at other teams, like for example, the Eagles, who had a great draft in 2023, a lot of those guys are already like participating and starting and making an impact on that team. And it's like, wow, like how, how did these guys end up here? But also it's like, they're going to be good for a long time because they got these guys, right? Like you look at the 49ers and you see a lot of older players. I think they're like the fourth oldest team. I think I saw that somewhere uh, this week, the fourth oldest team. Um, And I don't know if they're getting any younger because, like, these younger players aren't really getting the opportunities. And now we're looking at the 2023 draft. Um, Aside from Jake Moody, there's no one on this list that has gotten, like, a true opportunity with this team. Jair Brown, I know, plays some special teams. Ronnie Bell, um, we've seen him sometimes when there's injuries, but... Aside from that, like none of these guys have really gotten a shot. So I don't know if all these picks are just kind of seen as like long-term investments only.
0: I don't like the idea of like, well, we'll draft guys and redshirt them. Like, that's just not how it works in the NFL. You need to draft guys that can play right away. First round, second round, even third round picks can be starters for you. And it seems like with the 49ers, with this group, like they redshirt everybody and, and they just act like, Ah, well, next year they'll be good. Like, no, how much better would this offense be if they had another wide receiver that they could count on that could maybe get open with a little speed? Juwan Jennings is great, but he ain't a speed guy. Ronnie Bell can run a little bit. And every time Ronnie Bell is played, I feel like he's looked good, but yeah. yet he can't get on the field, right? Well, I just mentioned Charlie Warner, bag of cats, right? They drafted two tight ends this year. What have we seen from them? Nothing. They can't even get on the field, right? They drafted multiple linebackers. We've had some linebacker injuries. Can they get on the field and do anything for any amount of time? No. Like, why is it that none of the guys the 49ers draft can play right away? That's really weird.
1: Yeah. And again, like, I think it goes back to a potential lack of trust in some of these guys. um, Just because I think, especially on offense, given that the scheme is so complicated from what we hear from like every player that has had to learn it. It's so complicated that you can't just plug in some of these guys. And that sometimes is unfortunate because we're having a lot of people ask like, where's Jordan Mason? Like where Ronnie Bell should be getting more opportunities, things like that. And I got to imagine it's because Kyle doesn't trust them to do everything that his offense requires from players. So It kind of sucks because I do feel like having those reps helps develop a player, but you're not going to get those reps unless you're like polished already on this team.
0: But isn't it incumbent upon you if you know you have a very complicated system? Isn't it on the coaches there to come up with some sort of summer school crash course something, some program to get these guys up to speed, to be able to contribute in some way. Right. Not saying you got to, you know, be starters instantly, but like do something contribute in any meaningful way to the team in their rookie year.
1: I mean, we don't know like what they're doing to bring these guys along. And, you know, I mean, they have rookie mini camp. That's really the opportunity to get them learning the playbook and all this stuff, introduce them to the scheme. Um, but, I mean, I remember Kittle saying like it, it took him like a year to really figure it out. And he was starting in his first year, again, mostly by need. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that's just the the nature of the offense in this game. So, it, it just kind of – it sucks because it, it feels like it robs guys of that first-year opportunity for, for a lot of them. But, you know, I, I think eventually we'll see some of these guys – have a role because then they'll be up to speed <laughs> with everything and like, just give it a couple years, guys. Some of these right. some of these guys we'll see eventually. <laughs> it's really <laughs> hard to draft now. two
0: years in the future, right? Like it's like, oh, we're gonna pick a safety because two years from now we'll need one. Like that's really, really hard to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I feel like they do that mostly on offense. Like I feel like on defense they've been able to work guys in a little bit better. But yeah, but we'll see. Speaking of defense though, um Yesterday, the Texans released a familiar face from their practice squad, cornerback Jason Verrett. They had originally signed him October 11th, so he was on the team for about a month. Wasn't called up in games in that span. He's 32 years old right now. He hasn't played in the game since week one of 2021. That was with the 49ers. His last full season, and he, he even missed weeks one and two in that season, was in 2020, again, with the 49ers. I've seen a few fans suggest bringing him back. Are you on that train as well? (laughs) I'm assuming by your reaction, you're not on that train. Uh, But are you worried about the 49ers cornerback depth at all? Because I truly feel like that's what, All of this people trying to bring in every cornerback who can breathe into the 49ers like that's where it comes from like people were excited the 49ers worked out Dante Johnson like a week ago people were excited that the Patriots uh, released Jack Jones and they wanted to pick him up so are you concerned about the cornerback depth at all.
0: Yes. So those are two different things. Am I concerned yeah. about the cornerback depth? Absolutely. And Levin has been on this Levin black, my co-host on Thursdays on the gold standard network since the big the year started, he said one injury at corner and we are screwed pretty much. And he has been yeah. a thousand percent. Right. Cause do you want to see the Lenore and Ambry Thomas and Isaiah Oliver on the team on the field at the same time as the starting corners? Like, no, nobody wants to see that. So the depth is clearly an issue there, but The answer to that problem is not Jason Verrett. No, no, the guy can't stay on the field, okay? He hasn't played this year at all, like you said. Two out of the last three seasons that he played, he couldn't last more than one game. He is not the answer to this problem. You want to sign him? You want to bring him in? Great, guess what? He's going to play one game, and he's going to get hurt again. That's what He has had horrible injury luck. Achilles. I think he had two ACLs and an Achilles or two Achilles and an ACL, one of the, some combination thereof. He has had horrible injury luck, which is a shame because when he's healthy, he is very, very good, but he is never healthy. So he doesn't solve the problem that you're trying to solve if you bring him in.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also feel like he's at a point where... It's so hard to come back from all of those injuries and expect to be at the level that you were once played before. I mm-hmm. think the season, the, the full season the 49ers got from him, while it was a, a great season, I think it was more of an anomaly, really. And things like that don't happen. They certainly don't happen to the same player twice, you know, <laughs> so – uh, so you know credit to to Ver- for coming back from all those injuries right and he's yeah. still in the league right now um but yeah i agree i don't know if that's the answer i do still hope that the 49ers look into adding some depth i mean there's got to be some other corners like around right people have even thrown out josh norman i don't know if that's a joke but no. <laughs> like, God, <laughs> like no. what are we doing here man um it can't be that bad but You know what? If Samuel Womack comes back, if Daryl Luter comes back and they they get on the 53, either one of those guys, I'd feel better about the 49ers cornerback depth.
0: Yeah, I I, you would think that it could help, right? Especially Darrell Luter, because one of the things that I that always stuck out to me about him was after he was picked, Adam Peters was like, We think he can play right away. And like they never say that about rookies. And the fact that he said it like that there's not going to be a steep learning curve there. That tells me that they had to be pretty excited about him. Now, he hasn't, he's basically been out since, since minicamp. So that's unfortunate, but that at least gives me a little bit of hope. Cause I feel like they don't usually say, oh, we, this guy's going to come in and play and play right away. So the fact that they were willing to do that means maybe there's hope there.
1: Yeah. And so we'll see uh, when those guys, either one of those guys, is able to come back, maybe both of them. But of course, bringing them back requires the 49ers to then release a player to however it, like however many they need to cut in order to get both of those guys in. So that's kind of the weighing the options there for the 49ers. Um, but the 49ers are going to be facing. Uh, group of really good wide receivers this weekend playing the Tampa Bay Bucks. they got Mike Evans they have Chris Godwin I like Trey Palmer their rookie as well uh, the last time these two teams met it was week 14 last season the 49ers won 35 to 7 against the Tom Brady led Bucks team and I remember the Bucks blitzed the hell out of uh brock purdy in that game as they should like he what was it his like first official start yeah so i mean they wanted to see what this kid had and he did pretty good he was 16 of 21 185 yards three total touchdowns he averaged 8.8 yards per attempt pass rating of 134 That's like the Purdy we know now, right? Like not much has changed. He's been blitzed a ton since then a few times this year. And it doesn't seem to phase him all that much. Like, are you looking at this game as, you know, another strong showing from Brock Purdy against the Blitz?
0: I think so. I think there are stages to quarterbacking in the NFL. Like when you first get in there, defensive coordinators are like, all right, let's blitz the hell out of him and see how he responds to it. And if you can respond to the blitz, then it's like, okay, and then we'll go zone coverage. All right. You're you're good against the blitz. Let's do zone. Let's see if you can read the coverage and stay patient and take what the defense gives you. And then it's like, okay, if you're good against the blitz and you're good against zone, now we're going to man up on you. Let's see if you can make tight window throws, you know, in in very difficult circumstances. Then we're going to do that. There are like progressions in how defenders or defensive coordinators play you. With Brock, I think he's answered the question. Like He can figure out the blitz. He knows where to go. He can get the ball out of his hands very quickly. Remember the Giants game earlier this year where they blitzed like 86% of the time, some absurd number? Like Brock has shown, blitzing him, you're doing him a favor. He'll get the ball out of his hands quickly. So if that's the route Tampa wants to go, I think the Niners will have answers for that.
1: I agree. I think it's like blitz at your own risk and the Bucs have to know that. But at the same time, like it's part of their defensive philosophy to blitz. So I don't know how much they'll, they would go away from it. They might not blitz him to the amount that the giants did earlier this year. But if you look at the blitz rates of teams so far this season, Minnesota is number one. If you recall, uh, Minnesota did blitz, uh, pretty a ton in that game. They blitz 30.3% of the time. Tampa Bay's number two, 24.3. The Giants are 24.1. Dallas, 24.1. Pittsburgh, 21.3. 49ers have played every other team on that list, and Tampa Bay is up next. So he has his fair share of experience against these blitz-heavy teams. Kyle Shanahan calls a great game against them as well. So I think they'll be ready. Is there any, I don't want to say fear, but given what we talked about earlier about the offensive line, you know, Feliciano is going to be out there. He didn't play the last time that we played a blitz heavy team. Colin McKivitz might be out there. You know, maybe he won't be at 100% if he's out there, or maybe he doesn't play at all. And you have, you know, Jalen Moore or Matt Pryor at right tackle. Does that change how you feel about the 49ers? and brought Purdy in this game if they're not full squad at their offensive line
0: slightly, but also like this is where your quarterback is supposed to elevate other people. This is where your quarterback is supposed to be able to get you out of these kind of situations. And like we talked about Brock has been doing that this year, like making up for a lot of the offensive line shortcomings with his mobility, not just scrambling, but also just extending the play, avoiding pressure, sliding to his left or his right to give him just that extra half second to get a throw off down the field. So yeah, I think he'll have worse pass protection than normal, but it's going to be on him to overcome that and to do the little things just to buy yourself that time. And it's going to be on Kyle. Also, like you said, check downs to McCaffrey screen passes, short passes to Debo to kiddo, those type yeah. of things. So I think that, yes, it's, it's definitely a worry, but I also think they should be able to overcome it.
1: I think I'd be a little more worried about Spencer Burford going up against Vitavea Veya <laughs> because uh, we we've talked about Burford and him not being strong enough to, really solidify the starting position and call it his and no one else be in the mix. But Vita Vita Veya is one of the best like interior rushers in the league. And he, he will make you pay. Like I, I already see it in my head, like Burford being like pushed back and, and bullied and getting pancaked or something uh, by Vita Vea So that would be my concern. Uh, Shaq Barrett, really good pass rusher, but he'll probably be lining up mostly against Trent Williams. So, of course, you feel a little bit better about that. Um, I I don't know. I kind of feel like this might be a good George Kittle game, too. Like, he has stayed involved in the offense. And I'm trying to pull up the numbers last time these two teams met. But Devin White doesn't have uh, great numbers for this season. So, let me just look up really quick what um, Kittle did last year against um the Bucks.
0: Yeah, please keep George Kittle involved. Please, like yeah, I have said no, it I for like years. Blocking is oh, the second it. best thing George
1: Kittle does. He only had 28 yards in that in that game, surprisingly. There should never be a game where George so Kittle has 28 yards. Like there should
0: never He had, what did he have four targets last week? He caught three balls for 116 yards. It's not even like you have to give him 12 or 13 targets to have a a real tangible impact on the game. Now, obviously he's not going to get a 66 yard touchdown every single week, but there should never be a game where George Kittle has 28 yards. Like, unless it's like the, the NFC championship game against the Packers, where you just run for nine yards of carry every time. That's it. Other than that, you got to involve George more. And I hope that they do.
1: I hope so, too, and I think like having Debo back kind of lets you explore some of your past weapons, because I think Debo opens things up for other guys, too, um, and of course, Debo will get his opportunities, but don't forget about Kittle. What's funny is last time they played the Bucks after that game is when Kittle really started his run. He had, in Week 15, two touchdowns <laughs> against Seattle, followed by two touchdowns against Washington, a touchdown against Uh, the Raiders and then week 18, two touchdowns against the Cardinals. So maybe he can have a second half of the season run again, and hopefully it continues with this game for Kittle.
0: Absolutely. And I keep saying it because it blew me away. George Kittle had 24% of his career touchdowns career. Once Brock Purdy got into the starting lineup last year, that's how good their connection was. They seemingly have found it. It's seemingly continued this year. Uh, I'd like to see Kittle used more around the goal line. Um, I hope they can, because like Kyle can find ways to get guys the ball. That's the frustrating thing. People are like, well, he's not getting any targets. It's like, well, Kyle can get him targets if he wants to, because George always has those couple games every year, right? Where he just goes absolutely berserk. And it's because Kyle's usually dialing stuff up for him. So I hope they keep that going. Because you got to use all your weapons like George Kittle doesn't count as a benefit to you unless you actually throw him passes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's an important caveat there. Um, Let's shift over to the offense for the Bucks. And and first, like I do want to point out, like the Bucks are looking for revenge in this game, right? Because of, you know, the week 14 game last year but they're actually right now in a very similar situation to where the 49ers were just a couple of weeks ago but maybe a little bit worse. The Bucks are 4 and 5 right now. They've lost four straight games. So they're looking to get the vibes back and you know make a statement game to get them back in their groove. And so they're really looking at this game. Remember, a lot of the teams that the 49ers played during their losing streak were also in these, like, must-win, like, we-have-to-make-a-statement kind of games. And that kind of elevated their performance. And they saw the 49ers as a challenge. I kind of worry that the Bucks would want to do the same thing. But the question is, are they equipped to do it? Now, you look at their quarterback. It's Baker Mayfield. We, we talked about the wide receivers, great wide receivers. But again, the quarterback, Baker Mayfield, uh, is not he's not Tom Brady. But even Tom Brady, the 49ers were able to beat pretty handedly uh, last season. But I, I just kind of wonder if their offense will be enough. If the 49ers defense plays like they did last week, if they can overcome the 49ers defense at all. I'm not sure they could.
0: This is what scares me a little bit. The 49ers are built to get up by multiple scores, make you one-dimensional, and make you have to pass. Well, the Bucs are already one-dimensional. They they average 3.1 yards per carry. That is dead last in the NFL. They cannot run the ball. And like you said, they have very good wide receivers in Godwin and Mike Evans. Mike Evans especially, so underrated, like does not get enough love. 1,000 yards every single year of his career for I think 10 straight years, Nobody else in the history of the NFL has ever done that, including that wide receiver we talked about at the beginning of the show. So Mike Evans is a really good player. So Tampa, all they can do is throw. So it doesn't matter if the 49ers get up by one score, two scores, three scores. Their game plan is not going to change. I think the real question for the 49ers is, can they get pressure on Baker Mayfield quickly to not allow him to take those deep down the field shots to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? Because I think that if, if Baker has time, he can hurt the 49ers there. Cause they can just kind of YOLO this thing and chuck it downfield and let Mike Evans battle for 50, 50 balls or hope to draw a bunch of flags. Cause that's probably a real possibility too. Yeah. So to me, the sure. pass rush is going to be key. Can they get to Baker and not let him get those deep passes off? Because if they can, they'll be okay. But if he can get them off, Baker can sling it a little bit. So I yeah. would be, that would make me a little nervous.
1: Yeah. And sorry, I misspoke. The, the Bucks did win in week 10, so they, they had lost their four games prior to that. But going back to Baker, I was a little disappointed to hear that Nick Bosa, you know, doesn't want to continue his beef with uh, with Baker. He said he met him this offseason and he's a he's a nice guy. Uh, no, man, I, I need Nick Bosa to be pissed and I need him <laughs> to want to get the sack so bad. Uh because the way he played last week, I think that's that's the Nick Bosa we were all expecting in every game uh, this season. So hopefully with the addition of Chase Young, he can continue that. But I do want to talk about, you know, the Bucks being one-dimensional because I was looking at the numbers. Their percentage of pass plays is 63.3%. Their run plays, 637 So they're a team that is clearly comfortable with not running the football. And whether that hurts him or not, I don't really know. But I, I do want to say they have a really good running back in Rashad White. I know because I have him in, in a couple of my fantasy teams. And it's not just because of how he runs. He catches balls out of the backfield, too. So I would expect you know the Bucs to try to get some screens going, get him involved in the passing game as well. That's where that's like the X factor potentially for them in this game that the 49ers have to make sure doesn't get out of control. And they got to improve on their missed tackles. They had seven last week. If they can improve on those things, Penalties, too, was kind of a a thing for them. Seven penalties, 90 yards against the Jags. It didn't hurt them in that game, but you never know when it's going to hurt you. So I hope that's going to be one of the things that improves in this game. And don't play down to your opponent. If the 49ers can play a clean game and get back to how they were looking, you know, before week five, maybe, no one's going to be able to beat this team.
0: If the 49ers play their best, no one can beat them. I'm, I've been convinced of it. if they play their absolute best, which they still haven't done this year, really, because Kyle even said, like, there were things they were doing during the winning streak that they sort of got away with. But if they were to play their best, no one beats them. Uh, and uh, look, I don't even think they need to play their best in this game. Protect the football. Run the ball with McCaffrey, which I think you're going to be able to do. And get pressure on Baker, which I think you're going to be able to do. They should be able to beat this team. There's a reason it's a double-digit spread this week. If I'm the 49ers, my goal should be get up by three scores as fast as possible and get everybody the hell out of the game. Get Trent out, get McCaffrey out, because they got to play the short week in Seattle on Thanksgiving. So
1: you're right. I mean, not that I want them to look ahead because I feel like that can distract the team from the game that's in front of them. I don't want them to be thinking about the Seahawks game already. But as a coach, like I, I feel like you do kind of have to think about those things and think, let's get them off the field. It's actually incredible how many times the 49ers with Brockport. Purdy at quarterback and with Christian McCaffrey have been able to get off the field early. And you see the backup out there. It actually, the last time they played the bucks, you know, Josh Johnson came in uh, because they went up, you know, so early, I guess in this game. So if they can do that again, it would be great. It would be much appreciated because we all need the 49ers to win a week from today on Thanksgiving. We don't want our holidays ruined. So please, for the love of God, let's just get this win on Sunday and be ready to go for next week's game. But Rob, do you have any um, like score predictions for this one?
0: It's hard because it's tempting to look at last week and be like, okay, they fixed all their problems, so it's going to be 30 points and, and they're going to hold the other team to you know two touchdowns and it's going to be business as usual. I hope the 49ers don't do that, and I don't think they will. Fred Warner, when he was breaking the team down in the locker room last week, said, hey, we learned our lesson one week at a time. It's all about Tampa Bay. So I think they are going to go and handle their business. I don't think it's going to be flawless, but I think the 49ers are going to put up 30 points again. I think Tampa Bay will probably get 17, 20, I'll say 31, 20, 49ers. But I think that defensively, they figured a couple of things out. I think the addition of Chase Young is going to be a consistent thing that helps them and helps unlock sort of the game we saw from Bosa and Javon Hargrave, by the way, who looked fantastic last week. So I'll say 31, 20, 49ers.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go very similar. Like I'm going to say 31, 17 for this one. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the 49ers should be able to get off the field early in the fourth quarter. Um, hopefully, And I'm expecting a win and a big one at that. So looking forward to it. James said, still looking forward to a follow-up podcast with that Jags fan from last week, Steph. Yeah, Uh, Lori Lori Fitzpatrick, as always, we're going to be doing uh, the preview show tomorrow, Friday. And yeah, she'll be a little sad about the Jags losing last week. But she was like texting me during the game. She's like, Jags stink.
0: (laughs) I saw a lot of Jags fans last week in the comments to my videos, YouTube shorts, whatever it is. Like they were super confident going into that game. Like, I mean,
1: they had, they had won like what was it? Four or five games going into that one. So yeah, I mean, they had reasons to feel confident in the 49ers looking as bad as they had the previous few weeks. So, (laughs) but yeah, the 49ers back on top, that should be a fun show tomorrow though. Uh, Rob, what else you got going on this week?
0: So Levin Black and I are going to be live in about an hour on my channel, the Gold Standard 49ers Podcast Network. We'll be breaking this one down. Uh, I know Levin has got a point he wants to make about the 49ers schedule and how they've played a lot of the other teams in the league that have six wins. And Niners' resume does look pretty good right now. So we'll dive into that. Uh, I I just sat down before I sat down with you, Steph, with Ira Kaufman of JoeBucksFan.com. He is like the sage of Tampa Bay sports uh, for our crossover podcast. He was kind of giving me the lowdown on this Bucks team. Plus he's a hall of fame voter. He's the Tampa hall of fame voter. And he had some very encouraging things to say about Patrick Willis's chances. So that's going to drop a little later in the week as well. So as always uh, a lot going on at the uh, gold standard network.
1: Yeah, for sure. Love to see it. Make sure you guys like this video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not yet. Not just mine, but the Gold Standard Network as well. Rob's always putting out great content every single day for you guys, as am I. So make sure you guys show some love. Audio listeners, make sure you guys leave a review, rating, whatever it is. We really appreciate it. But for now, have a good rest of your Thursday, folks. Peace.